The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give shalom. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labours. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people of the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Hi everyone, a very big welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining us. If you're in North Hove, in Hangleton or South Hove, 
at the Clarendon Villas or in central Brighton at the uh, Clarendon Centre, a big welcome. Thank you for being with us. My name's Joel. We are in the book of Haggai, and uh, I think that it's obvious to us why this story is relevant uh, for the, the moment we're in. It's a story about recovery and rebuilding. I remember a conversation I had uh, with a friend of mine in London who leads a, a church very similar to Emmanuel, uh, also a multi-site church. Uh, we had this conversation in March 2020 uh, when the, the news was rolling in about lockdown and uh, we were realising very quickly that we were going to have to accept a lot of change. And uh, he said to me in the conversation, uh, uh, just a, a sentence, that I, I, I can't remember it word for word, but I won't forget the gist of it. After all this has happened, we'll just have to start all over again. We'll have to start to rebuild our churches all over again. And uh, I suppose in some respects that's an exaggeration. Church hasn't stopped. We've uh, carried on in all kinds of ways uh, as a church in, in all kinds of contexts. We've been able to carry on functioning as normal uh, by God's grace and with a lot of people's help. But we are also rebuilding right now nevertheless it really does feel like a, a time of starting over and Haggai is a story of just that and I, I want to for my part today and next week uh, bring the second and the third parts of this series that was we've begun last week and I want to talk about the, the present situation last week we talked a lot about the past next week I want to talk about the future but the present situation is what we see here. And in the present, and from this passage of the Bible we've just had read, we, we see the, the preacher, the prophet, Haggai, going after a couple of things that he, he doesn't like, some, some traits, some, some tendencies, some behaviours in the people of God. Uh, but also he brings a powerful encouragement. He, he brings some comfort. He, he gives them freedom. He gives them wings by the end of the passage we're reading. Uh, so let's look first at these two things he wants to take down and then we'll look at the thing he wants to uh, give to them as an encouragement. First thing he, he's going after is false confidence. False confidence. We, we see that in places like verse uh, 6 of, of chapter 1. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. We have a tendency to a kind of a, 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 an illusion of control. We, we go through life uh, finding ways to to give ourselves the feeling that, uh, that we can control the outcomes, we can control the future, we can control those uh, features of our life that need to go right. And we'll find different means, according to different times, I suppose, in history. We, we like to think of ourselves as civilised and enlightened, and so we don't do weird stuff, we don't do weird religious or superstitious stuff, surely, no one, no, one, no one is superstitious anymore, right? 
uh, we don't do like a rain dance to try and get a good harvest or you know we don't we don't slaughter a chicken before we go off to the supermarket hoping that this will ensure that all of our favorite products are there when we get there we we we've passed on the rituals but actually in some respects it's just a case of changing the style of the rituals so much of the advice that we get we use it in this kind of a way you can download multiple TED talks by uh, all kinds of self-improvement paperbacks on, on time management and productivity which are full of genuine wisdom you'll find a lot of good useful things in there but the way we very easily uh, use this stuff is, is we can with, without necessarily seeing it we drift into an illusion of control if I, if I wake up and do these various activities that the TED Talk says I should do, you know, I get up at a certain time, I eat this breakfast, I have this cold shower, I do these kinds of exercises, you know, I will be able to ensure more easily that the, these, these perfect outcomes, I will have a life like that, you know, that person I admire, that celebrity or that, that artist or that business leader. Because, well, I've, I've put in my piece, I've done the thing you're supposed to do and, and the outcome should follow. When we do that, we, we live life in a bizarre, tiny little cave, a very small tunnel. We, we, we disallow the reality that, in fact, the, the world is far bigger, that the, the universe and all the things that go on are, could not possibly really be under our individual control, well, however well we, we stepped up in, in, our, in our kind of program or plan. The, the control of all the factors, all the events that we can't possibly control is in someone else's lap. It's at someone else's desk and we can't control him. He is the one who's in control at all times. And, and we should know not just from the Bible, but just from watching history, watching stories, everything that, that we try to control, we, we, even if we succeed to some extent, something will come along and hit us from behind. Something will, something will ram us, will T-bone us without any expectation. COVID will come along, you know, or 9-11 as we've been commemorating this last fortnight. Something completely outside of predictability will break into life, will break into history and upset our idea of how it would all fit nicely. Now, what Haggai's doing in this, this story is he's saying to the people, you, you've imagined that because you've, uh, you've settled in this land and you're building your houses and you're doing your agriculture, you're setting your lives up imagining that you're, you're going to find success in a fairly plain, predictable way. And yet you've discovered it's not working. It's not working. Your, your economy is still nosediving. Your, your agriculture is not going well. There isn't a good harvest. And you feel the lack of it. You feel exhausted by it. And it's, it's really God's way of saying, hello, I want your attention. It's God's way of drawing you back to the reality that you started wrong. You set the priority wrong. You began wrong. And we need to understand God will use circumstances in our lives where we, we feel the frustration, we feel nothing is going quite right to draw our attention back to see there's a priority issue. I, I, I've actually tried to build my life without reference to him. Because I've assumed that I know better. 
I've assumed that if I, want, if I want to get money sorted, I budget as if God doesn't exist. I budget my money, I plan my money without any reference to the way he calls me to use my money. What, you want to give a tenth of your money away to your church? That's, that's, that's crazy behaviour. That, that's a waste of money. But when we think about giving, tithing, giving as a waste of money, it demonstrates that we don't understand the way that God orders things, the priorities that God wants us to set the way that he actually really is in control, as if we could control all the financial outcomes by our perfect budget setting. Of course, we've got to set budgets wisely, but we do that not because we know how to control the financial universe, but because we, we trust God. We, we, we want to honour God with it. Now, that's just one example, money. What about our time? What about, what about our, use, our leisure? How do, we, how do we allocate time to rest? How do we do, do we do stuff knowing that actually God has set before us wisdom that, that will help us to establish priorities that will give actually ultimately better outcomes. So that by being generous, for example, with our money, we find actually we're okay. We, we find actually we, our money goes further when we're generous than when we're not. And that's obviously crazy and counterintuitive and it sounds like I'm making it up, but I'm not. I know from experience that that's how it works. Because God's real. He really is. And he wants to remind these people through Haggai of that very fact. Say, guys, do you not understand? See, we like these people that, that I mean, I've used this illustration before, you may have heard me, that, that set out on doing a crossword and they get the first word wrong, but they carry on with it. You know, we, I, I, I'm going to keep pushing through. I think this is the right word. It's not. But they push through with it and then they carry on getting other words. And when you get the first word wrong in a crossword, I, I don't know many, but I can guess what happens, you're likely to get a few others wrong too because you're trying to force them into the mistake that you've made. And there's something about it. When, you, when you're doing something and you have this, you're kind of getting it right. That's one of the big problems, I suppose, is that so many things do seem right. And it's like that with the crossword. You get, you get a few right and you think, yeah, I think I'm on the right tracks here. And some just, maybe the newspaper's wrong. Maybe they got, that's not enough letters and I'm going to force it. Anyway, you start forcing things. You start forcing answers. You start trying to squeeze two letters into one box or whatever because it's got to be right. I've got to make this work. Isn't that just how we are with so much in life? We, we, we force things. We try and make decisions that we know that's not right. That's not going to work well. But we do it anyway because we've committed to the wrong path a long time back and we are not going back. We are not, we are not getting that rubber out and erasing all of our mistakes. We are not going to start this flipping crossword again. That is the last thing. We're so against the, this, this, this idea, this completely destructive, it seems to us, idea of going back and starting again and setting the right priorities that will persist with and, and, and we'll persist in error. We'll persist with a, with a foolish path which leads ultimately to failure and destruction. Friends, God comes into our life often saying, press rewind, go right back. You, your way forward is going to have to be backwards sometimes. We've got to face that. Actually, I was trying to help people to see it. You've, you've been doing the prioritising wrong radically think again, deconstruct again. And, and, and he's, he's, he's wanting us to see it the way that we, we, we easily miss. But that's not the only thing. Let me just quickly talk about the second of the two deconstructions, if you like, the two things that Haggai is going after here. So the first of them was false confidence, but the second one is what you could call, I guess, Tesco church or, or, or even hotel church or even Netflix church. Let's, let's 
call it that. I, I guess I'm trying to get across the idea that we can relate to Jesus and his people as though we were customers and he was trying to... Jesus is trying to get our business. Uh, we, are, we are consumers in this relationship. Now, you and me, we, we exist in a, in a particularly consumerized world, probably more so than any other time in, in, in history. We are... We are brought up, the, the air we breathe is in a world where you as the customer are kind of appealed to on the basis of, of those who, who, who give you the impression they can, they can for the exchange of, of, of money, uh, make your life more comfortable and convenient. That's what, that's what they're here for. And you, you as the customer are the Lord in that situation. So, so when you, you know, if I go to the supermarket and uh, I, I, I show up, you know, I, I walk through the, the door and the first thing I see is a guy, thank goodness you're here. You know, we, we need someone to man the till or someone to you know, get in the manager's office and order a, a, a big crate of tin peaches because the order didn't come through. Please go do it. Or if you show up at a hotel and, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of checking in and you're, you're looking forward to a couple of nights uh, of rest and, and, and whatever, and you, you're there, and the first, you know, the guy on the desk is like, oh, thank goodness you're here, you know, the contractors failed to show up, there's a whole wing that's half built, could you just come with me, here's a hard hat, here's some cement and a trowel, and we want you to just lay some bricks, uh, that's what we need, so could you just come this way, please, come, come on, sir, please, or, you know, yeah, the, last night some people went too far, at the, 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 the hotel bar, and, and so here's a mop, and there's a puddle of sick. Uh, I, I imagine that you and I would be choosing a different hotel or supermarket. You know, I'll take my business elsewhere. Thank you. It's, it's, it's so easy for us to be <laughs> shocked when we come into church context and to, to realise, to, to realize I'm, I'm being expected to roll my sleeves up to play a part, to serve, to be involved in this. What's going on here is the people of God having stepped back into their land from exile and I suppose perhaps knowing the stories of how the temple, the temple of the Lord was established, was constructed in a previous generation by other people and by God sending wood down the river from the king of Tyre, all kinds of provisions that were laid on for them to make it fairly comfortable and convenient for them in this situation, Haggai's instruction from God to the people is consider your ways, go up to the hills, bring wood and build the house. There you go, that's, 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 that's how this is going to work. Go fetch wood. We're here, to, we're here to worship God, the temple, the house, the, the glory of God, the presence of the Lord. We've come for worship. We've come to enjoy the Lord. We've been away from church for so long. It's been lockdown. It's been a long time of not being able to gather. And here we are. We're here to gather. Isn't it going to be fantastic? The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And they show up to a building site. They show up to, to someone bullying them with a hard hat, some, some foreman on the court with a construction, you know, with a flowchart. And, and it's, it's not what I expect. I didn't, no, I don't, I think I'd rather stay back in, in, in exile. I, I think I'll go back to Babylon. Because it, it's, it's a sudden kind of interruption of our priorities. And it, it gets in, into us because I think, as I say, in our context in time we particularly perhaps have, have kind of been nursed you know raised in a, in a world of 
of consumerism, where, where the customer is always right. We, we, we need to consider our ways. As, as he says twice in this chapter, consider your ways. Do you do that? Do you consider? Reflect for yourself, God, what, how have I, what expectations have I brought with me into my relationship with you and your people? Am I seeing, seeing it the way you want me to see it? I was uh, away last Sunday. I wasn't at Emmanuel because I was in London. I was at another Emmanuel in, in Greenwich. And uh, we, must, Steve Horn and myself, we had the privilege of going up to lay hands on two guys being brought into eldership, be, becoming elders, overseers in that church, established as leaders there. And I, I was talking to one of them before the meeting. It was really interesting. He, he's, he's from a... a he's, Family aren't Christians. He became a Christian as an, as an adult. His, his parents don't believe in Jesus. But they were there because their son's becoming a, an, an, an overseer, an elder, whatever that is. And they're kind of curious. And, and really nice people in chatting with Martha's. And they, the guy, you know, his dad is a very senior figure in the public sector, got a lot of responsibility. And the son, who's becoming an elder, you know, before he joined the staff of the church, he was pulling down a big salary. He was in the city in London, he was making money and he would have made more money and if he stayed in that job he would have made much more money and now he's an elder of a church and <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm not saying you know, that's the, if God's called you to make money in the city then you do that and obey Jesus but, but for this guy obedience meant I'm going to actually take a pay cut, I'm going to join the church and I, he was thinking, this is funny I wonder how my folks are going to find this and you know, he loves his mum and dad, but it was a big deal thinking it through. How, how does it feel to watch your son go through this kind of uh, process of, of, of letting go of so much in life that we would covet, that we would think is the value, the thing that we really ought to have in life? For the sake of, I can imagine the thought that would go through any ordinary parent. I would think, you know, what, what kind of church is this? What, you, is it a cathedral that you're doing? Are you, you, you had a high, high visibility, high paid job. Are you uh, going to be working for a, a special church? Is it an important church? What is it, does it meet in a cathedral? Uh, it meets in a cinema, actually. <laughs> it's quite a humble church. In a, it's, it's, not, it's, it's just an ordinary group of people. But, you know, if you met this guy... The impression you would not get is that he's kind of heroic about it. He, he's, he's not feeling like he's made some great, big, honourable act of sacrifice. He's not being noble about it. I'll tell you what he's doing. He's, he's excited about Jesus and the church. Really. He, if you say, you say, you talk to him about the decision he's made, he would say, you know, I made the right call. I've said goodbye to a lot, but what I said hello to... I get to be involved in the building of Jesus' church. I get to be involved in the most important thing that's happening on planet Earth. Jesus is establishing his church. And now, in his case, he's doing it full-time. We all get to do it in our different ways. We all, as people who love Jesus, get to be involved in the construction of a community, a living temple of living stones filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrating the, 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 the radiant glory of the living God to a watching world. This is what we get to partake in. And the honour and privilege should mean that there are times in life where we prepare to say goodbye to stuff. We're prepared to pick up a trowel. We're prepared to say, OK, count me in. I'm serving. I'm doing this. Because well, I've seen something so great that it defeats the best and most glamorous options of this passing age. 
I, I love the fact that even Haggai says, go out and fetch wood. Go out, go out, find some wood to construct this house. And I guess in reality that, that will affect me with, and you with, with the, the responsibility to go and find the people. Go and find them. Go out into the places where they are. When you start to construct a church, when you restart, as we are, when we re-begin, it's all about finding the people. Go find them. Go look for them. Go for them. They're everywhere in reality. Everywhere there are people. Everywhere. Right now, post-COVID, post-lockdown, there are so many asking questions they have never asked before, thinking through issues of eternity, thinking through issues of truth and, and life and death and hope and wondering what life is about, looking for meaning, purpose, reality. These are the times for some people when they will be out there most open in their whole life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I encourage you, go and find them. Go into the hills and fetch wood to build this house for his glory. You know, this last couple of years, one of the people that's most inspired me is Phil Turner, who some of you know is on the staff of the church. He, he's been overseeing the Alpha courses that we've been doing and increasingly throughout lockdown, it was Phil who was coming to us with story after story. Many of us were struggling with the realities of lockdown. Phil was thinking, you know, actually at the moment, the... the, the Lockdown is one of the most amazing things because Alpha Online has just flourished. There are so many people who are looking for meaning and reality and open to the message of Jesus Christ in a fresh way. This is a time for us to go and find the wood. Go and find. Who knows who God is going to add? How are our sites in Shoreham, New England, Hove, Oasis and maybe beyond? How are they going to grow? How are they going to multiply and thrive and flourish it will be because of the people that right now don't even know Jesus people right now or maybe they do know Jesus but they've kind of they've kind of drifted away or they're content with just watching church on telly it's time friends for us to go and find draw them in one by one by one by one by one it takes time it takes patience it takes teamwork but by God's grace I trust that over these months and years to come we will see the church of Jesus Christ flourishing in this city as sites grow again become robust again are able to start planting and multiplying again and we fill this city more with the message and the glory and the joy of who Jesus really is Jesus is the answer for Brighton Jesus is the one who has has answers for Brighton is able to meet the the, the deepest and most <laughs> sometimes hidden needs of our dear friends and neighbors and colleagues family members Friends, we need to be those who will go and find the wood. We need to be those who will be active in the pursuit of these dear ones that Jesus is reaching out to. Last thing, let me just say quickly. This, 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 is, this is where Haggai brings his rich encouragement. So he's gone after a couple of things he needs to correct. But look at how he uh, talks in chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. Be strong, Emmanuel. For, this is how he, 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 he sets up this encouragement. For I am with you. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. This is a great encouragement to me for, for several key reasons. Let me share one with you. See, this is a, a demanding time 
for the people of God in this story and today. We, we look at what has been constructed. We look at the condition of the church and feel its depletion, feel the need for growth and renewal and a flourishing to start. And we, we, we can feel, Lord, are you really with us? There are times when the, 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 the question inwardly will be, hey God, how, how are you with us? Are you really for us? Are you really helping us at this time? And we look for signs of it. We look for, sometimes we look for outward proof that he's with us. We look for certain kinds of symbolic uh, proof. Some, certainly for these people, the temple of Solomon's day was the lavish proof that they'd lived by as a culture, as a nation. The Lord is with us. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It was the way they, perhaps unhealthily, they associated their, their sense of specialness as a people and the presence of God exclusively with this, this stone building. It was, it, was, it was the proof. And now it was gone. And now they had this, relative, this kind of bike shed by comparison they were trying to put together. It, it would have felt easy for them to languish in a deep sense of mediocrity and, and doubt as to whether the Lord really was with them. But we're not, we're not, you know, this isn't, this isn't like, this isn't like Champions League. This is like conference. This is, it doesn't feel like, are we really, is the Lord with us? Come on, really? And Haggai's instruction is, is, is so relevant for us. Be strong. Be strong. How, how, can we, how can we simply be strong at times when we're not really feeling? And it, sometimes it's just on a very personal level. Lord, I, I'm not really feeling your love for me at the moment. I'm not really feeling your presence in my own personal life. I don't feel you close to me. And the way my life tends to go, the way the flesh, as the Bible calls it, the way the flesh tends to direct me and, and you at times like this, is to step in quickly and say, okay, okay, you're not feeling the Lord's, you're not feeling that he's with you. Well, try doing these things and then you will feel that he's with you. Try this, do that, do these things, behave better, try harder, be more religious and you'll feel that he's with you. He, you you'll be, then he will be with you. Then he'll be with you. And the flesh gets you busy in that wrong way. And of course, it's not just the flesh, but we have an enemy called the accuser who loves to come in at those very times and says, <laughs> good luck trying. If only, if only you could. Maybe if you, you know, here's a few tips on how you've really failed. Here's where, this is the reason why you never will feel God's presence. You certainly can't feel God's presence now, and I'm not surprised because you've so blown it. And you and I, perhaps without even noticing it happen, languish under a burden of failure, of exhaustion, a sense of, I, I know I'm meant to be helping, I know I'm meant to be building the house, I know I'm meant to be serving, I, I must do better, I must, I must, and maybe if I keep going, then the Lord will be with me. I just want the Lord to be with me, but I, okay, I'll keep pressing on. We fall into this way of thinking, and this is the very thing that the Lord wants to draw us away from. To live under the law of, of sin and death, to live under that oppressive mentality well, in fact, it, it seems to me that's the very thing God came to rescue his people from when he took them out of Egypt. As, as he says there in verse 5, he says, 
my spirit remains in your midst according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. What's he doing, Haggai, there? He's deliberately reminding them of the basis of this arrangement. He's saying to these beloved people of Jesus, he's saying to them, you do understand, don't you? It was never, ever, ever about how you deserved your freedom. It was never earned. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. This whole arrangement was because the Lord saw you in your slavery and loved you and chose you and, and designated you with royalty. He, he placed honour upon you. Not because you earned it, but because of kindness and grace. And he made covenant with you. In other words, he effectively he married you. He put a ring on your finger. He chose you and delights in you <laughs> because of how good he is because of his great love for you and he's not he's not second guessing his decision he's not having further thoughts he's not he's not reflecting on that thinking well, do, do I need to go back he, he he's never going to he's delighted he's set his affection upon you and you and I need to keep learning what, what, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, stand firm and do not be subject to a yoke of slavery. These people, their, their past history was slavery and how easy it is for us as the people of God to drift strangely back into slavery, into the mentality of slavery. Seeing God's commands and instruction and wisdom, even the things I've been saying to you today about priority setting and having a servant attitude allowing those things to be twisted into sticks that are beaten against us as though we, we by those means will find our way we'll claw our way back into God's good graces if only, if only I could achieve if only I could set my priorities right then maybe maybe the Lord would be with me my friend it's time to stand up straight in the confidence he is with you this is Haggai's burden I'm with you declares the Lord my presence remains in your midst. According to your good behaviour? No. No, it never was. Do you not remember? According to the covenant I made with you when I took you out of Egypt, when I took you out of your sin, when I took you out of your slavery to the law, I took you out because I loved you. And it's never changed. Your relationship with him is forever based upon his work for you, his love for you, his choice of you, his undeserved willingness to embrace you in your sin, in your failure. In fact, the sin, the failure is perhaps, is perhaps the thing that we need. We need some of the sins that we commit to remind us, don't we? The failings, the weaknesses, the mistakes, the stupid stuff, the stuff that we know we shouldn't have done. We almost need those things to help remind us. They become the means of us saying, oh God, this was always about me being your dependent, forgiven, loved one. I cannot earn this. And so I come back every day on the basis of his love for me, not mine for him. And as I do that, I find <laughs> I actually am overwhelmed with his love. And I discover his presence is with me. And he stirs up my spirit. I find grace to obey 
grace to serve, grace to build the house because he chose me according to his covenant. We have a sign of that covenant. It's called communion, bread and wine. We're going to celebrate that now. Maybe if you're uh, in different sites, right now is the time where we'll be taking bread, taking wine, remembering the sign of the great gift of God's kindness to us in his son Jesus. Let's just do that in our different meetings.